0: This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Psalm 51. We started this a couple of weeks ago, this little journey through Psalm 51 with it. What do you do when you've blown it? David blew it. Big time. And I was talking to my uh, son yesterday, and I was reminded of a time that I blew it in a way that you'll, it was what we call a self correcting error, if you know what I'm saying. Um, when you travel globally a lot, one of the greatest gifts that you have in your arsenal are wet wipes. Also, pro tip, don't shake with your left hand. Those of you who travel globally, internationally, you know exactly why, but don't shake with your left hand. Always shake with your right hand. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, but wet wipes are like this great gift from God because in most places out in the bush, whatever, there's, no, there's nothing except for some leaves and, and if you don't know what you're doing, that can get you in its own set of trouble. But I, uh, <laughs> I had my wet wipes that I thought were there and I reached out and I, I grabbed them. But Now, here's the thing. Uh, They've got these other wet wipes that come in the same kind of container, but they are the bleach ones for countertops. It's actually worse than you think. I don't know how long I sat in a cold tub, but it didn't do any good at all. It was literally like someone had taken a lit cigar and put it out on my heinie. Like it just—it was horrible, horrible. Now, again, self-correcting error. I will never do that again, ever. The important decisions that you have to make when you're, uh, you know, cleansing yourself, if you will. And as I was thinking through this and, and reading and thinking, man, David actually at one point talks about cleanse me. Right? And we're going to get into that in just a minute here. You're talking about, I've blown it, Lord. Cleanse me. And my ill-fated attempt at cleansing myself ended very badly. Our ill-fated attempts at trying to cleanse ourselves from our own sins are just as bad because you're cleansing yourself with fire and he wants to wash you with the water of the word. And in Psalm 51, David is writing this song that was just unbelievably heart wrenching. He had just been barked at rebuked by and called out by a prophet named Nathan. Nathan had come to him after he had killed Uriah he had taken his wife Bathsheba to be his own and thought he got away with it. Do you ever think you get away with it? Let me tell you this I've been a pastor 12 years and I sit down at a table, across the table from a lot of people over these 12 years. And I'll tell you this nobody gets away with it. Your sins will find you out at some point. And so here's the moment where his sins had found him out. But here is what the prophet said to him God is saying to David, Look, I have been so good to you. I've given you this kingdom. I give you your children. I've put, I've picked you out of this family. I've put you in this palace. I've I did everything for you. And if you just wanted more, all you had to do was ask me. What made you do this, David? So when David heard those words from the prophet, his response, his song, was a prayer that was not about. Lord, save me from the consequences of my sin. It was not a, Lord, I broke your law. It was, God, I broke your heart. And so he says in verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. As we talked about two weeks ago, there is a repentance that focuses on the sin and it makes you hate yourself. That Repentance that makes you focus. I'm so afraid of the consequences. I'm so, and all I'm doing is I'm trying to get out of this and I'm completely focused on this sin and the shame of it, and you hate yourself. That is not gospel repentance. Jesus' repentance, right? Gospel repentance focuses on the goodness of God, it focuses on God's love. What you did for me, Jesus, was so amazing. God, what you did for me, I could never possibly repay you. And it doesn't make you hate yourself. It makes you hate your sin. Because you've seen just how far God would go to save you from your sin. You see just how much he would put himself out there to save you from your sin. Sin must be bad then. It must be. If nothing short of the death of the Son of God... Right, would save me, then sin must be so bad. And I hate it. I hate what it does to the people around me. I hate it what it does to me. I hate it what it does to God. I hate my sin. And that is a completely different kind of repentance. It's a repentance that leads you to transformation, not just a short lived behavior modification. Now, that's kind of where we left off with it, because the gospel is a Is it about mercy where you didn't deserve it? Grace where you didn't? Yes, 100%. That is the gospel. He is having mercy on you. But he doesn't just stop with that. He doesn't just give you a get out of jail free card. He cleanses you and he restores you. You see, All I've got is mercy. I can have mercy from somebody that didn't give me what I deserved, but I may not have a relationship with them after it's over because I wasn't restored to them. I might have gotten mercy, but there's still a record of my wrongdoing, so I have not been cleansed from it. And the gospel, and that's what David shows us here, that he restores us and he cleanses us. And in these next few minutes, I want to show you just a couple of things about why that not only mattered way back before Jesus, while Jesus was here, it matters literally today, July 10th, 2022. Cleanse me. He says in verse four, against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know, the modern Western idea of a sin, so to speak, is that I have sinned against myself. There's this authentic version of me, and if I violate that and who I am, that is what the sin is, which is the whole thing of, hey, you know, whatever's good for you, we've heard that a whole lot in, especially in the abortion conversation in the last few weeks. Like, that's her choice, whatever for her, this is my choice for me. It's, It's basically a violation of your own conscience, not a violation of anything else. Now, the problem with that logic is quite obvious, and that is that your conscience might be different than my conscience, And what I in my heart believe is sin, you might not believe. And that's what's given birth to cancel culture. It's what's given birth to the entire myriad of what's going on in our world because this person thinks this is a sin, but this person doesn't think this is a sin. Well, who gets to win in that conversation? Somebody, somewhere has to decide. Is it legacy media? Careful. Is it the government? Which government? Whose government decides? You see, there was a sin that David committed and then there was the sin underneath of the sin. And that sin wasn't one that David created. That sin wasn't for the first time. It's not one that I have committed for the first time. This is a sin that's been around a very long time. It actually was born not on earth but actually in the kingdom of heaven when a angel named Lucifer rebelled against God. And in Ezekiel 28, verse 17, we see that very first sin. So again, David is saying it's according to your standard that I'm judging myself, not according to my standard, not according to culture standard, but according to my standard. Now the sin that Lucifer committed in his rebellion, it says that your heart became proud, on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Pride, do you remember when pride was a sin? It was pride in Lucifer's heart that caused him to, in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, you can write it down and go later. To go the next step. Because the next step isn't just pride that I am the guy that, you know, I'm beautiful. and I'm, If you think that I'm all that, right, in a bag of chips, I'm, I'm the guy, I'm the creator. I'm, then your next step is to say what he said in his heart in verse 13. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And then at that very last of that verse 14, I will make myself like the most high. I will make myself equal with God. Equality. I am, in my heart, I am so wise, I've got it all figured out, that I don't want equality with my fellow people. I want equality with God. And what equality with God then says is, the original sin in the Garden of Eden. The, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. I now get to decide what is good. I now get to decide what is evil. It is no longer a standard that God has put in place, but a standard that I am putting in place. That is pride and not equality with each other, but equality with God. And as I said those two words, some of you all, got a little tense and a little nervous. I can't believe he's saying that out loud. But I also want to attract your attention back to the idea that even certain communities that have made an entire celebration out of pride for a whole month, we are not immune to that in our own hearts. Our own lives are 100% subjected to pride and the sin of pride and the sin of pride, which if the biblical definition of humility is to believe the truth about yourself, this is who I am, that God, I'm so desperately wicked that nothing short of the death of the son of God would save me. And that I am so desperately loved that he did it gladly. If I'm able to say that, that's, that's the truth. That's humility. Pride is just simply believing a lie about myself, that I am going to ascend and be like God, that God doesn't know the best about it. I'm the one that's going to make these decisions on it. That is 100%. If I'm going to sin against God, right, what David said, my sin and your sin is not against each other. It is a sin against God when I am saying that I'm going to judge by my standards and not by uh, God's standards with it. Now, that said, this is not something that we've just discovered even in our quote unquote modern ideology. This has been around for a very long time. The idea that as we as humans, that if we can just figure out a way, through medication, through technology, through self-discipline, that we can arise. Literally, it's the entire journey of Hinduism. Transcendence, Buddhism, to like, Islam, if I can be good enough. Like there's this, the religions that are out there are there about making yourself good enough to become equal with God. There's a book, how many of you guys were forced to read Brave New World when you were in high school? Gosh, that's not very many of us. It was a wild book. And I feel like everybody in this room, if you got anything you're not doing next week, go home and read Brave New World. You see, the the fear that everybody's had about 1984 and George Orwell, which by the way, that'll, that'll get your attention. By the way, George Orwell, we was like, man, is he a prophet? How did he know? (laughs) Can I just say that he wasn't a prophet, he was a historian. Man, there is nothing new under the sun. This is who we were in the 1930s. It's who we were in the 1830s. It's where we are in the, ni- in the 2030s. Because man, in all this idea that we are evolving into something new, we might have better toys. We might have more destructive powers. But it is still controlled by the same humans where sin runs through the heart the, 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 each and every human being inside of us. Now that said, and Alexander... Uh, I'm sorry, Aldrus Huxley's book, Brave New World, this very simple principle, which you can go home and read it later whatever, is that in this brave new world, that they could medicate you with Soma so that no one would no no longer have to sin, no longer would have to suffer. We just take this drug and everybody's gonna be perfect. And there's a character in this book called John the Savage. And may we all be John the Savages in this brave new world that looked at this idea, and this is why it's so important, I think, for our world right now, because our world right now, it's not like a top-down totalitarianism, it's almost like a bottom-up totalitarianism, where we're all embracing this from the ground up doing plenty good, keeping each other in check, not waiting for some government to do it, right? But in in this book, there's a guy that's the controller, and he's trying to get John the Savage to take this medication, this drug called Soma. And it's in chapter 17, this fascinating exchange. But at one point in this exchange, he moves into, oh, I just lost the quote. Can you put it up there for me? Rebecca, because it just literally disappeared on me. This is chapter 17. Savage is saying, no, 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 I don't want to do this. In fact, he actually goes on to say, I'm actually fighting for my right to be unhappy. I don't be, I, I want to be. The world is full of struggle and tension, and I, I, I'm fighting for the right to be unhappy, because the controller's like, just take it. You'll be happy. It'll all be fine. But what Savage responds to him is, what you need, the Savage went on, is, something with tears for a change, because nothing here costs enough. This is all free, but nothing costs enough here. And the world that we're in right now, the idea, again, like Soma, is that we could just erase sin, we erase good and evil, there is no such thing as good and evil anymore, we're all just gonna get along, we're all gonna be, is 100% demonstrably false ideology, right? But it's, the fact is, is, it doesn't cost enough. And what I love about this, this idea right here, I don't believe that Huxley was a believer. In fact, I'm pretty sure he was agnostic. But when he says nothing costs enough here, what is the next line in what David is saying here? Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop. I will be clean. Wash me. I will be whiter than snow. If you were a Jewish person reading this and you heard the word hyssop, you would have immediately been reminded of Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus chapter 12, the people of Israel who had been imprisoned, enslaved for hundreds of years, were being set free by God. Pharaoh was refusing to let them go and on this last night, he told those people, this last plague that God sent, that the angel of death is going to pass over your, ho- your sons, your homes, and your firstborn sons are going to die. Anyone who takes the blood of this lamb, take the blood of a lamb, a spotless little lamb, put the blood post on the top of the door, the bottom of the door, either side of the door, by the way, makes a cross. Cross. Will be saved. He didn't say, by the way, anybody who is Jewish put this on your blood doorpost door post, and it would be saved. Anybody could put this on your doorpost and be saved. Pharaoh that night could have done that and his son would have been saved. But he says, take the blood, not just splatter it on there with your hand, take a hyssop branch and apply it to the doors. Cleanse me with your hyssop. Isaiah, your sins are scarlet, they will be washed whiter than snow. Jesus In John chapter 21, I think, at the last of his life, one of the last things that happened to him was they hand him up on this stick, this this sponge with bile on it, this disgusting drink off of this sponge, but it was on the end of a hyssop branch. And when Jesus took that bile in, that sickness into him, so to speak, by him drinking it from the hyssop branch, his death means that I don't have to take the bile from the hyssop, I take the blood from the hyssop, and my blood, his blood, I'm sorry, washes my sins white as snow. Cleanse me, O oh God. That's what is so amazing with the gospel right here. A thousand years before Jesus is on the earth and the gospel is already just permeating out of Psalm 51. Our repentance, not about the consequences, because Jesus bore the consequences for us on the cross. Our repentance is God, you were so amazing that you would do that for me, not just to pay for my sins, but to cleanse me from my sins. Verse 8 let me hear joy and gladness, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He is blotting out our iniquity, washing it away. Friends, I don't know if I could possibly explain that in a way that could make it real to you, so I pray that the Holy Spirit will. Because many of us in our prayers, we're praying, have mercy on me, O God. Because I didn't get it right, and I was supposed to get it right, and because I didn't get it right, now I'm going to have to be punished for it. And some of you, by the way, you think, now I should be punished for it. And Jesus was saying, you don't want that punishment. I'll take it for you. Cleanse me with the hyssop. He goes on to say, and this is not just cleansing because you could be cleansed, by the way, your sins blotted out and washed away, but have no restoration. You see, in the garden, when Adam and Eve, when sin came into the world, they were sent out of Eden. They were sent east of Eden. They were now separated between God. Like there was a separation between them and between God. And without Christ, that separation still exists to you and me today. But in Christ, that restoration happens for us. He says, create in me a clean, a pure heart, God, verse 10. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. The Gospel, Jeremiah 31, I think it's verse 31, is that I will take your old heart of stone and I will replace it with a clean heart, a fleshy heart, a new heart. You see, you are restored. You do not delight in sacrifice, verse 16, or I would bring it. You do not pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, God, is a broken spirit, a contrite heart. You, a oh God, will, you will not despise me. Like, He is bringing you back into relationship, He is renewing you. You're bringing your broken spirit to Him, and He is giving you back a brand new heart, a brand new spirit, one that you could never get on your own. Every other religion on the planet, every one, is about you working hard and then hoping for a judgment. I've done this right. I've done this wrong. I'm, it's like I'm in a court case, trying to, you know, negotiate for my uh, my lawyer working on. I have to try to work my way in to be found innocent. That is Buddhism, that is Hinduism, that is Islam, that is Mormonism, is Jehovah's Witness, any religion. By the way, there are some versions of Christianity that are exactly that. I have to work my way and then I'm going to be judged after I do the work. The gospel says the judgment was already done and now I do the work. Your judgment's already been put in, in Christ. You are innocent, you are blotted away. Your sins are washed. You are forgiven. Done. And if you will repent, it doesn't mean you're not going to blow it again. But when you do, if your repentance is about begging for forgiveness, if it's about begging God, I'll never do this again because I'm going to screw this I want to screw this up again, I don't want to be punished. That is not gospel repentance. That is religious repentance. It's selfish. It's not helpful. But coming out of a gospel, like this is what you've done for me, Jesus. You bled, you died, you resurrected. I did blow it, and I am really sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you? I, I'm change. Like repentance is literally a changing of your mind to come back, and it's not focused on your sin. It's focused on God and the idea that you would be a clean heart that is cast, like created in you. That's what the gospel is, is he has created in you. It's like the gospel is just simply the answer to David's prayer from a 1,000 years early in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. And he goes on to say, and cast me not away from your presence, O God. And it's only made possible. Because the one guy, the one man who got it all right And whose prayer should have been, cast me not away. Should have been an easy yes for God. Because Jesus, right, saying, on the cross, I've done it all right. I got every law, I I did everything right. Cast, Cast me not away, right? God, why have you forsaken me? Cast me not away from your presence, oh God. And in that moment, the one that God should have said yes to, he said no to and turned his back on Jesus on that day, leaving him alone cosmically so that you and I, when we say, cast me not away, the prayer and the answer is, yes, of course I'm not going to cast you away. You are safe in my hands. Our culture right now would have us to believe that your sins are bad enough, and some of you, they're worse, and because yours are worse, you need to be canceled. There there are things that I have said this morning that could get me canceled, get me cast away. The culture here teaches us that that is the proper response to someone who violates something that you think they shouldn't have done, they violated your sin and your heart, whatever, you need to be cast away. Problem, of course, are myriad. But how do I know that yours is right and mine is wrong? How do I know that you're sin- you, you get to be the judge? I don't- now, here's what I do know. God is right, God is perfect, and God is just. And I have committed sins. I have done things that should get me cast away from him. And the reason that the cross is so important, the reason that this restoration is so important, is that the cross was the only way that God could give justice for me? Because God just can't wink and nod and say, yeah, you know, boys will be boys. That's not justice. That's not even mercy. It's cowardice. So how could God, right, give me the justice that I deserve, right, while also giving me the mercy that I don't deserve? And the cross was it. I've heard it said by theologians that the cross is where justice is and where mercy kissed. Because on the cross, Jesus would take that punishment for me. The cross was God's way, Jesus' way of canceling my sin without canceling me. Your sin is hashtag canceled. And you are restored. You are cleansed. You've had mercy shown upon you, and now you are restored into a proper and a right relationship with him. You are not a worm. I don't even think it's proper to call you a sinner. Look through the New Testament and find out how many times that the New Testament writers call you a saint. Not because of your behavior, but because you are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. You are not a lowly little worm sinner. Not anymore, you're not. You are the righteousness of God in Christ because of what he did. He who knew no sin became sin that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Does that mean we never need to confess and repent? And absolutely does not mean that at all. Because there is a cleansing. I mean, I don't know how you guys, so we're about to get on a plane, okay? Um, Whatever day that's gonna be. Thursday. Thursday. Now about 26 hours later, which is by the way, shorter than what Benny and Mary Lou are gonna suffer, we're gonna land in Entebbe, Uganda, and I am going to be disgusting. (laughs) There is a just film that just forms over the human body, just sitting in a chair in the sky. I don't even know if I can trust you as a missionary if you have not had to give yourself a sponge bath in an airport bathroom in Newark or somewhere around the world. I can give you pro tips on that. Doha, they're great rooms for sponge baths. They've got these little closed doors. You can go in there. anyway Because... As our we're in the we're in the fallen world. We are all around impurity. We are all around. Th- whether it's what you hear on the radio, whether you're just listening to uh, your kid, whatever they're binging on Netflix or whatever's happening. Mean, we, look, we're trying to watch like a home improvement show, and every commercial in between, I feel like I need to go take a shower when it's over. So you are saved. You are cleansed. You are. But man, if you'll spend every day in the Word, washed in the water of the word, in the water of his spirit. Do you wonder why they use water as a metaphor? Not just sitting water, but like running water, a river of water, because that'll get you clean. I'm not talking about getting you clean so that you can get into heaven. I'm just talking about just getting you clean so that you don't stink it up when you get to Uganda, do you know what I'm saying? That when you get into the life, you need to get into the film of the world on you. There is a a repentance from our sin, but then just a constant cleansing, a constant showering to get the world off of you. And the best ways are, man, just the water of the word, the water of the Holy Spirit, the water of worship. Just put yourself in the river of the Holy Spirit and allow him to wash that stuff away. If you think that you can get away from it in this world, because one of the options right now is we all head down to like wherever the, the Amish people are and like churn butter and make jam and like get a, We can do that. But I don't know if you've watched any documentaries on the Amish people. They're not exactly crushing it when it comes to relationships and morality either. Do you know what I'm saying? You can't go anywhere from this world where it's not going to get on you a little bit. Get in the word. Get in the Holy Spirit. Get and allow him to cleanse you. It's not about you earning it, not about you being good enough for it, just about you letting that stuff wash it off of you. So stand to your feet. I got to get you out of here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father, wash us in your word, cleanse us. When we blow it, Lord, we repent not by begging for no consequences. When we repent, Lord, and blowing it, it is just a acknowledgement of your goodness, Lord. I'm sorry that I broke your heart, Lord. Use that kind of prayer to transform us from the inside out. I pray that my brothers and sisters here, I pray that I, Lord, that that gets deep inside of me and that we cleanse ourselves with (laughs) sponge baths of the Holy Spirit every day of our lives in the Word, in the Spirit, and in worship. Lord, would you continue to give us wisdom even here locally for our church? And I can't help it, Lord, I just feel I'm supposed to pray for Marshall Foster, Lord. Jesus brought it to my heart and mind just now, Lord. Lord, heal that man. Just heal him. One of those ones that are so surprising and so exciting that we're like, that was God. I'm just asking you like I would have, my three-year-old when he was three years old asking me those questions. That's the kind of faith I'm putting you right now, God. Please do, Jesus, do what you said you would do. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.